Well, now, if you were brave enough to uh, brave the snow last week, you'll remember that we're continuing our series on common problems in the Christian life, and we're centering our thoughts in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I shared with you last week how I'm always encouraged by my daughter-in-law's father. He's a huge ebullient American, and whatever crisis he faces, his response is, well, I'm still a Christian. It's a wonderful thing, isn't it, to be able to say that, when really what you want to do is spit. Now, the specific problem we were dealing with last week is the way in which unbelievers don't seem at all interested to share our faith. And that really is very discouraging when we're thinking about having a mission to share the faith. We find the simple explanation in verses 3 and 4. Even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the knowledge of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Now that's very discouraging. And it could tempt us to stop trying to share the faith altogether. What's the point in sharing the faith with someone who can't understand it, whose mind has been blinded? Now, that would be a great mistake. A great mistake. Because in verses 5 and 6, we see the solution that God has provided. We do not preach ourselves. Let me just stop on that phrase. I find it so encouraging You know, our spiritual enemy so often makes us think about ourselves instead of turning our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 12 says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. And that's a fundamental principle in Christian living and in Christian sharing the faith. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Because if you fix your eyes on yourself, You'll see all the ways in which you're going to let God down, all the ways in which the enemy discourages you and accuses you. But we do not preach ourselves. Hallelujah. We preach what God has done in us. Of course we do, yes. But it's not we ourselves that we preach, but Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness... In other words, the creator, the one who started everything from the beginning, the creator has said, let light shine out of darkness and made his light shine in our hearts. He switched the light on. He's opened blinded eyes because we were dead in transgressions and sins. As for you, you were dead in transgressions and sins in which you used to walk according to the the God of this age. But God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive. It is by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not yourselves. It is the gift of God. So the good news is that God has switched the light on. He's opened blinded eyes through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now, we can be absolutely sure, as we saw last week, that God wants everyone to be saved. Of course he does. We looked, didn't we, at 1 Timothy 2, 3, and 4. How it says that it's the will of God that 
everyone should be saved and come to know the truth. Now, how we reconcile our decision and God's sovereign work is something we have to leave with him. That was an emphasis I made last week. Because the final decision about where a human being will spend eternity is is in God's hands, not in ours. He's the one who switches the light on, and he does so according to his own sovereign will. Ultimately, God is in charge. And again, I think this is so important when we are seeking to share the faith. When we approach the weekend in March, we mustn't do so with a kind of trepidation, a kind of butterfly attitude, you know, oh gosh, all the nails are going to be bitten down to the quick. We're we're, we're desperately worried about what God, uh, about what's going to happen, what's not going to happen. Rupert has very kindly and, and, and wisely shared with us some principles of how to share the faith in confidence. But very often we don't have very much confidence, do we? Very often our, our confidence is, is, is at a low, very low point. Now, let's grasp this principle. The one who really has the power to work in human lives is the Holy Spirit of God. And he will do so in his own way, in his own time, according to his own decision. And we can rest in that. To me, this is a tremendous liberation. If I thought that the effectiveness of my sharing the faith meant the difference between heaven and hell for another human being, I don't think I'd ever get out of bed in the morning. No. All we have to do is to share the gospel as honestly and effectively and lovingly as we possibly can, and then we must leave the rest to God. Okay, so much for how we share, uh, cope with the difficulty of sharing our faith with people whose eyes have been blinded by the God of this age. We must just leave it with God to make his light shine in, our, in their hearts as he's shone his light in our hearts. Next common problem, jars of clay. In the 1930s, European politics were much more polarized than they are today. Extremists of both right and left battled it out, not just in print and on the floor of the debating chamber, but on the streets as well. Even here in tolerant England, there were street fights between communists and fascists. And of course, both despised Christianity with its message that we've got to love our enemies They rejected that kind of thing much in the same way as militant atheists reject it today. Dorothy L. Sayers is famous as a a mystery writer, but actually she was a Christian writer as well, a Christian writer of note. And she characterized the difference between political extremists on one side and Christians like this. She said that Christians were like little boys with pea shooters, and communists were like real men with real machine guns. Do you ever feel like that? 
do you ever feel that the gospel is is somehow weak and um, insipid? Do you ever feel like a, a little boy with a pea shooter setting yourself against a real man with real machine guns when uh, Richard Dawkins gets to his feet or, 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 or whoever it is and lambastes the Christian faith and characterizes it as um, magic? I used to like going up to Wakehurst Place and um, uh, looking at all the wonderful delights in the shop there until I inspected the bookstall. And there, I don't know whether you've noticed or whether you've been there in Wakehurst just recently, there is a great display of Richard Dawkins' works. All his books are there, available to everyone. And when I looked at those books, you know, a, a kind of cold feeling went through me. I, I, what I wanted to do was to have a great big bag and, and, and shovel them all in and put them all into the dustbin. Well, that, I mean, that's no good. They'd just replace them, wouldn't they? Do you ever feel like a little boy with a pea shooter fitting your, uh, uh, pitting yourself against a real man with real machine guns? Look at verse 7. We have this treasure... Now, what's the treasure we have? The treasure, of course, is the gospel. The treasure is what God has done in Christ. The treasure is the message we have to share. We have this treasure in jars of clay. Who are the jars of clay? What are the jars of clay? They're you and me. That's what Paul's talking about. And we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Again, the emphasis is in what God is doing, not necessarily on what we are doing. The reality is we are hard-pressed on every side. Even the courts are against us now. We can't pray in public. But we're not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Don't ever judge a book by its cover or a clay pot by its surface. In C.S. Lewis' book, The Screwtape Letters, Screwtape, a senior devil, describes the church in very discouraging terms. He tells his nephew, the junior devil, that they have nothing to fear from human beings. (laughs) But the hosts of heaven are a different matter. They are terrible as an army with banners. We are surrounded by the spiritual hosts of heaven. Turn with me just very quickly to Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, And this describes um, the, the people who accompany us when we come to God in Christ. Verse 22. You have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, to the city of the living God. That's where we are this morning. We have come to Mount Zion. That's because the cross is there. We have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, to the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. Do you realize that we are surrounded by them? You have come to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all men, and to the spirits of righteous men made perfect. 
He's referring to uh, the great cloud of witnesses in verse 1. Since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. The spirits of just men made perfect. They're all there. And the women as well. And you have come best of all to Jesus. The mediator of a new covenant. And to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. And you know what the blood of Abel spoke for? Cried out for? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Cried out for vengeance. And the blood of Jesus cries out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We have this treasure in jars of clay. Yes, that's us. But the all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. And we're surrounded by all these wonderful, encouraging earnests of the fellowship we shall share in heaven. That... uh, little plaque, always encourages me. In memory of the Reverend Josiah Smith, late pastor of this church, who died the 3rd of December, 1835, aged 36 years. I suppose in those days, it wasn't uncommon for a man of 36 to die. But he was a young man, wasn't he? He's one of the great cloud of witnesses who's surrounding us. He's one of the spirits of just men made perfect in heaven. And one day we shall rejoice with him. But at the moment, we are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. And how do we cope with that? Well... We always carry, verse 10, we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our mortal body. The life of Jesus. We who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. Yes, we're having a hard time. Of course we are. And one day soon we may have to pay a much bigger price for our faith. So let's be ready for it. So that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So that So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. How do we cope with it? We cope with it through faith. Faith is what we are and what we do. Verse 13, it it is written, I believed. That's our oxygen. That's what gives us life. Faith, I believed. Therefore I have spoken. But what do we believe in? With that same spirit of faith, we believe and therefore speak Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. The fact is that everything essential in the Christian faith from first to last depends on one thing and that is the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ.